On Saturday, the United States Senate voted by 57 to 43 to convict former President Donald Trump for inciting the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill, thus falling 10 votes short of the supermajority needed to to prevail in an impeachment trial. The Biden administration will take center stage in the coming weeks as it tries to move a massive COVID relief package through a closely divided Congress. However, before we move on, it's important to make sense of the insurrection, the impeachment, and where things might go from here. To help us do that, we are joined by Linda Martine Alkoff, a professor of philosophy at at CUNY's Hunter College and author of numerous books, including The Future of Whiteness and Rape and Resistance. She's a longtime contributing writer for The Independent, and her latest article appears in our February edition. It's titled, In Trump's Wake, Social Movements of the Left and Right Battle Over the Future of America. Linda, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here, John. You bet. So, first of all, uh, much has been said about the violent means the insurrectionists used uh, when they stormed Capitol Hill on January 6th. But what about the ends? What do you think the insurrectionists were fighting for beyond the simple goal of preserving Donald Trump's presidency? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. There there is too much focus on the means and law and order. Uh they have they were supporting their own version of law and order, right? There's different notions of what law and order is. But they are right-wing revolutionaries. Um it's a loose coalition. They don't all agree on every point. There's a number of different organizations that were involved. They were around well before Donald Trump. They will be around after Donald Trump. And we really need to have more space in the public discourse to talk about what is it that they want? Uh, what is it that they do stand for? They, they want a strong United States that can be isolationist in the world and bully other countries and will maintain um, their exclusionary privileges, mostly white, but not all, not only white, as we know. It's a little bit, it's a little bit multiracial, multicultural these days, but the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, America First, they, they want to go back to the days when um, white privilege meant more than they think it does today. And, uh, you know, they, they want male dominance. They want, um, an, an end to immigration and end to refugees. Um, you know, so they, they have a variety. It's not entirely a coherent worldview that they have. Um, some of it's a little vague, but they, they definitely want, um, to, to defend the exclusionary privileges of, uh, you know, of, of whites. Right. And and one upshot of the Senate Republicans' refusal to convict Trump is it feels like they are inviting his MAGA supporters to do this again in the future. Uh, Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think they actually support the agenda at many of the various events that these right-wing revolutionaries have held across the country. There have been Republican Congress people who have spoken at their rallies. I think at every single one, just about, they've had Republican Congress people. So I think that the Republican majority, perhaps, um, or a sizable percentage of, of the Republican leadership um, does support 
the their agenda and is happy for it to continue and to grow stronger. I mean, Trump himself called it what do you call it the the be- a beautiful movement. So he <laughs> called it a movement, right? Which which indicates it's not just about the election. That I think they really use Trump as much as Trump used them. They use Trump to. Um, galvanize the base to motivate people's actions and as an excuse for um, the kind of action that we saw on January 6th. Right. And uh, in our country, we've lived this movie before when violent white supremacist movements uh, brought down the reconstruction governments of the South a decade after the Civil War ended. And I think it's fair to say that we're currently living in a second reconstruction era that dates back to the landmark victories of the civil rights movement of the mid-1960s, and uh, while the advances we've seen have been imperfect, uh, profound changes have also been wrought by that uh, 1960s-era movement, as well as the openings we saw in immigration laws at, at, at the same time. And, you know, it seemed like we had made a permanent transition to a new social order in which being openly racist was seen as unacceptable, and people of color uh, were were playing a larger and much more visible role in public life. And now that's been openly challenged by uh, Trump's movement over the past five years. Do you have a sense of history repeating itself here that, I mean, th- that these people really, you know, want to overturn the social order that we've lived under the past 50 years or so of, of a, a certain amount of racial progress? Well, that that's a good way to think about it, but I would, I would put it slightly differently because I think that um, the second reconstruction from uh, Brown B. Vo- Board of Education through the 60s civil rights legislation has really um, failed in large measure to bring economic and racial justice. The carceral system is worse. The wage floor is worse. The capacity for low-wage workers, most many of whom are people of color, <clears throat> to have a living wage and own a home and send their kids to college and not worry about their retirement has decreased. Um, healthcare, you know, for many poor people of color is worse. So although I, I don't want to downplay the significant advances that have been made that I've seen in my life, because I'm 65 years old, so I've certainly lived through this period. When my sister and I came to the United States as immigrants from Panama, there was no bilingual education in Florida. And, um, you know, speaking only Spanish was really a problem in the schools. Now, you know, bilingual education is is more common throughout the country. So I don't want to downplay the advances, but Seriously, what the the language of the civil rights laws had to be put in this neutral language, individual language that could not really get at the root causes of the problem of racial injustice and economic injustice that exacerbates racial injustice. And I think what this this new group of right wing revolutionaries see is that we are organizing for a third reconstruction that's going to be real, right? That's what our demands are. We're looking for structural changes and systemic changes that can get at more than just cosmetic changes at the top and can really address the causes of the injustice. And they do not want that to happen. So in some ways, it's not Mm. that they they want to go back. They, They want to avoid 
what they see on the horizon, which is what um, the collective uh, left movements are demanding today. Mm. And in your book, The Future of Whiteness, you write that an important storyline in 21st century America will be how whites react to no longer being the numerical majority in this country, which will be the case within the next 20 years. What's your take at this moment on 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 the um, on the on those prospects? Well, I, I think uh, white people are split uh, clearly and uh, much more significantly than they were when I was a child. Um, and I think that political division among how many white people, you know, support Black Lives Matters protests, for example, will probably continue. So I, I don't think that it's going, you know, the, the numbers are going to continue to go up and we're going to get, a, you know, the vast majority of white people on board. But there are sizable numbers, as we saw last summer, and we need to activate the anti-racist whites more to take stronger stance, to step up, to take risks, to organize in their own communities among pe- white people that they know. That's what we have to do to to move to the next stage. Right. And, and, and besides the racism exhibited by the uh, right-wing groups that back Trump, there's also uh, appears to be a deep streak of uh, misogyny within their ranks. Uh, can you talk about how that manifested on January 6th and at other times in the past year as he whipped up his supporters uh, against Democratic Party politicians? And also, do you see a connection between the violent a- attacks on abortion clinics over the past 30 years by uh, right-wing extremists and the kind of violent extremism we're seeing today? Yeah, uh, some of the groups like the Proud Boys, you know, are, are um, openly a cornerstone of their agenda is male dominance. So, uh, but all these groups, I think, see feminism at, in opposition to their their demands. Even though there's some women who support them, as there were some women in the Klan, but you know, their attacks on Pelosi and on AOC and that that naked doll that somebody was like carrying around on a stick during January 6th. Why did the doll, you know, with a noose on his neck, why did the doll have to be naked, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of misogyny and male dominance here. I, I think the abortion um, position that they take is motivated by two things or maybe three. One is they need more white babies, right? And um, abortion, the, the white women's um, reproductive activity has been steadily decreasing. Secondly, the abortion language gives them a kind of moral alibi for what they are doing, right? It gives them a kind of moral high ground. And I think also feminism is seen by a lot of these people like Anders Bering Breivik, who was the mass murderer in Norway, you'll recall a few years ago, mm-hmm. he really targeted the feminists of Norway because he saw them as weakening men and causing the opening of the borders to refugees. So he saw feminism as kind of a key player in social justice movements and changing the culture and the, con- the conventions of life in ways that would um, thwart their goals. So they're, they, I think they're, you know, they're, they're by disposition anti-feminist and misogynist, but I think it also plays a role in their political strategizing. 
Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, Linda Martin-Alkoff, thanks so much for joining us this evening on WBAI 99.5 FM. Great to be here. Thanks, John. You bet.